This is episode 116 with Dr. Anna Rubenstein. G'day legends and welcome to Your Life of Impact, where we connect with world-class athletes and coaches, health experts and enthusiasts, inspiring entrepreneurs and community leaders, all to teach you how to tap into your inner excellence. I'm your host, Brett Robbo, and I'm extremely grateful you're joining us today on your impactful journey. Dr. Arna Rubenstein is an expert on rites of passage and adolescent development with 30 years experience as a medical doctor, counsellor, mentor, speaker and workshop facilitator. He has an extensive knowledge of adolescent behaviour, parenting, rites of passage, corporate leadership and personal transformation. The programs and seminars that Anna has helped to develop have been attended by over 100,000 people globally and are designed to support boys and girls to successfully make a safe, healthy transition into adulthood with a particular focus on creating coming-of-age rites of passage. Anna has also created residential leadership trainings aimed at equipping participants with the knowledge, skills and tools to begin to build and deliver transformational rites of passage programs. This training is ideal for teachers, corporate leaders, mentors, coaches, social workers, parents or anyone wanting to create and deliver truly transformative programs for people with their organization or wider community. little side note here that I'll definitely be doing these leadership programs and these leadership trainings with Anna in the very near future. Anna is a real dude. He's a genuinely connected, authentic, human soul of a dude. He also lived in a bus on his property for years and then lived in a teepee on his property while he was building his beautiful home on the top of a mountain overlooking the valley where we recorded this podcast. He, he has some amazing life experiences. Unfortunately, we were limited on time for this chat and there were so many areas that we could have dove into and really unpacked. So I'll definitely be getting Anna back onto the podcast another time. When you hear this, you'll understand why, because he has so much to offer. He, Anna brings a real unique energy, an abundant, connected, welcoming, purposeful, healthy energy. And I felt that from the moment that I arrived at his property. I'm so grateful that he invited me into his home in the mountains in the Byron Bay hinterland area of northern New South Wales. When, when I arrived, we, we drank his homemade kombucha, we ate his activated walnuts and macadamias that he grows on his property, he cooked me chai tea on the stove, we chatted about him eating a lot of the locally sourced and organic produce that he, a lot of it he grows himself. He's so purpose-driven and just frothing on life. And as I was packing up the recording equipment and we were chatting after we stopped recording, I said to him, Anna, you look like a fit old fiddle. What do you do for training? Do you trek up and down these mountains? I can see your TRX and chin-up bars hanging in there, but what else do you do? And he got really excited and energized and he told me he does everything all the time. He said, I swim a lot and I'm doing PBs in the pool at the moment, feeling amazing. He said, I run up and down this driveway that you drove up. And mind you, that driveway that he's referring to is over one kilometre long and it's super steep. And he was buzzing as he told me about it and how much he loves running up and down that driveway and all the training that he does. I was totally buzzing off his energy and inspired by it because that's how I envisage myself at his age and well beyond that. So I'm always frothing when I'm around people like him. We spoke about 
after the recording, we spoke about things like breath work and I asked him if he did much of it and he said, uh, I do a bit of it in my yoga but not enough. He said, I want to do everything. I want to train. I want to run. I want to play the saxophone. I want to go hiking, grow our produce, do all the stuff for our programs and everything. There's just not enough time, he said. And he looked at me and said, oh, I've just got to prioritize breath work, don't I? <laughs> and we had a good laugh about it. As is always the case, there was a lot of, you know, there's always a lot of great conversations and energy before and after I record many of the podcast episodes. I find that especially when I meet people in their environment, when I go to their environment. In this episode, we discuss what a rite of passage is and why they're vital in our lives, the power of sharing stories, why Anna gave up being a medical doctor to be able to help people in a deeper and more holistic way than the medical system allowed him to. We discuss the most common triggers for mental and emotional challenges in society these days, Anna's belief or disbelief in the current school curriculum and systems. We discussed parenting advice and much more around human behavior and emotional intelligence. Before we hear from Anna, I'm going to read a quick iTunes review, and this one is titled Inspiring. It says, Love your work, Brett. Always such inspiring, interesting, and varied guests. And of course, also sharing your own expertise, heart, and soul. Keep it up. Thank you. That's by Goldie Mum from Australia. Well, Goldie Mum from Australia, thank you for taking that time and effort to write that little review and give that rating and, and that feedback. It means a lot. It's, it's beautiful to hear that you are inspired by these interesting, inspiring, varied guests and that you acknowledge my expertise, heart and soul. Thank you. Well, that means a lot. Okay, now let's hear from the legend himself, Dr. Anna Rubenstein. What is a rite of passage and why do you believe it's so important? So a rite of passage is an event that transforms you and and takes you from one stage in life to the next. And we will all have rites of passage events happening in our lives, but the question is whether they're going to be healthy and facilitated or whether they're going to happen to us. So, for example, my area of interest, a lot of it has been around creating rites of passage for boys as they're becoming young men so that they grow up. And for a lot of boys, actually, they don't grow up and they don't actually go through their rite of passage until they're, you know, maybe 40 years old when their wife walks out on them or they get divorced or they get, you know, they lose their job or they, they have their first heart attack or something bad happens to them. And what we're interested in is how we can create healthy rites of passage for people, which means that they will be facilitated by elders. And a lot of this came from studying uh, Indigenous communities and organisations around the world um, who recognised that we have stages in our lives. I look at it like there's a staircase of life. And we start at the bottom and we gradually make our way up the staircase. And, you know, your example, you, for example, you're on the staircase where you're about to have a child in six weeks. That's a rite of passage. You will be on a different stair. You know, once you've got a kid, that's, it's just different. And, 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 you know, you're already excited about it and, you know, you're ready to move from one step to the next. And, and that's going to happen. And, um, you know, so we all move up these staircases and, you know, one day you'll very possibly become a grandfather and then an elder. And then eventually we get to the point where we reach the end of the staircase and we either, you know, step off and go, go up to somewhere or go around in a circle, depending what your beliefs are, it doesn't matter. But there's that staircase and we should all be moving in a healthy way up the staircase. And, and rites of passage are specifically designed to help us move up that staircase. The theory being that we spend a, an appropriate amount of time at each level and then we move up. And the problems occur when someone's on the staircase and they don't move. And, and the classic example which I sort of started talking about was when a boy doesn't grow up, doesn't become a man, and he may develop a man's body and he may be 30, 40 years old, but he still thinks and acts like a boy, where it's all about him, he's the centre of the universe, 
you know, he doesn't take responsibility for his actions. He can never be wrong. You know, he's looking for a mother. All of those things are boy behaviors. And, and we're seeing it played out a lot. And, we're, and boy, men have been exposed. You know, the whole Me Too movement and everything that's going on is basically exposing men who are still boys. And this stuff shouldn't be happening. And if we had healthy and appropriate rites of passage, I believe they wouldn't be happening. What's an example of a rite of passage from a culture that's been around for a long time or where you've sort of came across these models that you are inspired by? And it might not be something that you replicate, but an example of a rite of passage. Well, there, there are rites of passage that we've looked at in cultures all around the world. So... Um, the the um, the Brazilians, the Satere Mawe, uh, they used to take their boys and, and and they would spend a whole period of time with the elders of the village and they would hear the stories of the elders and that's how they would pass on wisdom and knowledge and and, and then there was a, a an event where the the boys actually had to stick their hands in gloves made out of bark in which were um, stinging bull ants it had an incredibly painful bite and and the boys had to dance around and show no signs of pain you know as part of their rite of passage and the uh the mescalero apache indian girls used to do a four-day rite of passage when at the time when they started menstruating and the girls together as a group would spend four days and nights and once again they would hear the stories of the elders uh, that they would uh, have to dance all night on the last night they would be given knowledge um, and at the end they would actually receive a new name which was their spirit name and it was about you know who that they were going to be later you know as as adults within that community um, the the Native American Indians, uh, the boys used to have to spend three days and nights out in the desert with no food or water, and you know they would stay there until they started hallucinating basically and had a vision for who they were going to be in the future. So the 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 thing about my research has been to discover that the elements of a rite of passage were always the same, and then looking at those elements and working out how we can bring them into a, uh, a healthy way in the society that we live in. And we're going to unpack that a lot more. But before we do, I just want to say, Anna, welcome to your life of impact. I'm so happy to be here. It's great. And, you know, we're sitting here uh, on top of a mountain looking over the forest and, uh, you know, what better place to sit and discuss rites of passage than exactly where we are. I am extremely grateful that your open invite was for me to come to this place because even just driving up the driveway here, I felt like I was coming into the Australian version of Jurassic Park, just surrounded by all the mountains and the fog today and the trees. But this place, it's magical. It's beautiful. And, and actually where we're sitting is our purpose-built leadership training centre where we train people in the framework of a rite of passage, train people from all around Australia and around the world who come here, and then we train them to create their own rites of passage in their own way, in their own communities. Beautiful, brilliant. And actually someone who's done those programs is the reason that I'm sitting here with you. We've been connected through someone who's a really good friend of mine now. I've had him on the podcast a couple of times, and that's Jamin Heppel. Correct. And who is currently on his own amazing rite of passage uh, around the world doing mountains and marathons where he and his partner, Jen, are climbing the highest mountains they can find and doing marathons in Patagonia and Switzerland and, and, you know, and doing it also with other people specifically as a rite of passage which is amazing oh it's unbelievable we've actually had a couple of people who were just podcast listeners heard about their story signed up and have done and are doing the programs with them so it's a it's a great connection now we've talked about rites of passage let's unpack it from the way that you teach it what do your rites of passage programs look like why do you teach them and then what do they look like from the inside? Okay, so I want people to understand in a clear and simple language that a rite of passage is not a mystery and that it's something that we can actually see as a process. So by that, uh, there, there are three stages of a rite of passage. And, and actually, I didn't name them. A, a man named Arnold Van Gennep 
who was an anthropologist from Belgium in the late 1800s, travelled around to Indigenous communities all around the world. He came to Australia, he went to Papua New Guinea, he went to Africa. Like, he did the job I would like to have had. And he observed all these communities and he was the first one to notice and name that they all did rites of passage to support people moving to the next stage in their lives and not just young people and I'll come back to that later it's actually very important but he recognized that within the rite of passage there were three stages and the first stage is that there's a separation so the person going through the rite of passage is separated from their everyday uh, life and their and their community they you know they'll be taken somewhere to do the rite of passage and then the second stage is a transformation where they they change and they, they they move from one stage in life to the next and I'll talk about the elements to create that and then the third stage is when they come back they return and they reintegrate into the community in a different way so a classic one for Australians might be Travelling overseas at the end of school. Did, did you do that by by any chance? Or no, did I didn't. Go? I went straight to the AIS as an athlete. Okay, but even that would have been a rite of passage Absolutely. for you. Absolutely. Because you would have left your normal environment and now you're in the AIS. And in the AIS, you would have transformed. And you learn and you grow and you do things and you become a different person. Absolutely. And then when you leave the AIS and you return, reintegrate to your community, you bring back new gifts. Mm. You bring back the ability to teach other people, to train, to do all sorts of things. And, and, and that's, that's actually a proper and hopefully healthy rite of passage. You left, you transformed, you came back. And when you came back, you would have hopefully been seen differently and respected differently, and people would have, you know, uh, wanted you to work with them. So, so that's a rite of passage. In Australia, mm. another classic one is students going away at the end of year 12 overseas. They leave their normal environment. They go overseas. I did that. I grew. I transformed. I had amazing experiences. And then I came back, and I was different. And, and you know, I, I'm not a child anymore. I came back as a young man. Um so that, that, that sort of demonstrates those classical three stages of a rite of passage, um, the, the separation, the transformation, and the return. Um, and, and then the, the reason why I think it's so important and why I teach it is because it actually keeps us moving in a healthy way up this ladder of lo- up this staircase of life. A marriage is a rite of passage. You know, before the marriage, in theory, we're two single people and we, we get separated from our community and we go into the ceremony of a marriage and our community comes and witnesses what's happening. And then after the marriage, we, we, come, we go away on a honeymoon and then we return to our community as Mr. and Mrs., and we wear rings so people can see that we're married and now we can, you know, live together and have children and, you know, I, I know that marriage is not quite in many ways what it was, but the theory is still there. And the important thing to realise is rites of passage are not just to help a boy become a man and a girl become a young woman. You know, they should happen through our lives. Becoming a grandparent is a rite of passage. Um, menopause is a rite of passage. Uh, treated very badly, ignored in our society, actually. And in fact, there's a lot of shame around menopause, which is a tragedy. Um, becoming an elder, is a, dying is a rite of passage. Also, which we do in the main so badly, having been a doctor for so many years, you know, death is going to happen to all of us and it can actually be done incredibly beautifully, surrounded by family and in a very special way or not. And, and one of the things I talk about with this staircase is that we're all on the staircase and we're all at a different level on the staircase. And the interesting thing is that, for, for example, for a boy to move up the step and become a young man or a girl to move up the step and become a young woman, his mother and his father, they also need to move up a step. So the father has to stop, you know, lecturing and telling his children how to live their lives and be the authority and he needs to move he actually takes a step towards eldership 
And the mother, she also has to take a step and may not know everything that goes on anymore in her children's lives and actually has to let go and stop smothering them. So, so in a correctly done rite of passage, which is a community event, everybody takes a step up the ladder. Can I give you one more example? Please do. Uh, my, my partner's father passed away a year ago. 86-year-old man, outdoors, digging a, a, tr- a hole for a tree in 35-degree heat. He was digging a hole to plant a tree to create shade for, for, the, for the future, and he dropped dead. Tragic, but also very beautiful. Mm. But so, so he went through the rite of passage of dying. His wife, who married him when she was 19, mm. she goes through a rite of passage. You know, it's her first time ever being out in the world on her own. So that's a rite of passage for her. My partner said, you know, she said to me, wow, I, I no longer have a place where I can be a child in the same way. I used to be able to go home and when I was with my parents, I, I'm, I'm a child and they're my parents and that's no longer happening. I now have to look after my mother. So she goes for a rite of passage. Mm. Her, her son, who's 14, had never dealt with death before, never seen death. And we took him to the hospital to see his grandfather who had passed away. And it was his, you know, that was a huge rite of passage for him. Mm. For me, it was a rite of passage because, you know, I helped with a lot of the arrangements and it really brought me another level into the family. So when done well, a rite of passage is not just for one person. The whole community goes mm. through it. So it's not just that they're organised rites of passage. Rites of passage will be presented to us throughout our lifetime. Is that what you're saying? And then is it? do we need yeah. to be equipped to be able to accept and handle and move through these rites of passages? Yeah, well, the thing is to realise that rites of passage in many ways are as necessary as anything else we do. And if they're not actually created in a healthy way people will go out and look for them themselves. So we see all the teenagers, we're talking about boys, all the risk-taking behaviours, the, the cars that they drive as fast as they can, the fights, the, the extreme sports, the stupid things they do. All of that is them trying to initiate themselves and feel like men, trying to face their mortality. Did you do that stuff by any chance? Um, I definitely did some stupid stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we all did, you know, but, and, and, and hopefully we got through that okay. But I know as a doctor, mm. they don't all get through it okay. Mm. And gangs, gangs are a perfect example of a place where you get, you get actually initiated into the gang. And gangs use all the elements of a rite of passage. It's quite extraordinary. Mm. And, 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 you know, lots of things that are – and girls – you know, we have schoolies in Australia and we call schoolies a rite of passage when the kids all go to the Gold Coast or Byron or Bali and they get drunk and they, you know, take drugs and it's a disaster. That's mm. not a bloody rite. That's not the rite of passage I want to see my kids going through. Yeah, you know, I, I worked in emergency in Byron Bay for, you know, 15 years and I saw countless young men who'd been in fights and tragically I saw girls you know, who'd actually lost their virginity at schoolies while they'd been drunk mm. with a guy they'd never met before. And that's not the rite of passage that I want to see our girls go through or our boys. So, so yeah, there's a saying that if we don't initiate our young, they will burn down the village to feel the heat. Mm-hmm. So, so they need it. And, and it's the role of us as elders to be creating healthy and appropriate rites of passage for our children so that they actually grow and, and as part of that growing they become more in contact with who they actually are and what their gifts are and what their spirit is mm. because that's what we want to see them bring into the world. And is that you're instilling the belief within the kids in these organised rites of passage that you create to help them uh, understand that they actually do have spirit and gifts and talents and how to bring that out in them? Yeah, and we're not telling the kids how to live their lives or who they need to be. We, 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 so, for example, we'll work with values of respect and responsibility and awareness, but we're not saying you have to do this or you have to earn a certain amount of money or you have to be a certain profession. We're saying, you know, who, do you, who are you and who do you want to be and what's inside you? And also, what behaviours do you know that you need to let go of? Mm. And, and, you know, 
That's is that very giving powerful. them responsibility? Well, the idea is questions? yes, definitely. Mm. The idea is that they will get responsibility and privileges, and the two will be connected. Mm-hmm. But we also need rites of passage for older men. You know, as they move through stages in their lives, there's a there's a beautiful rite of passage that happens in the Native American Indians in one tribe, where when the men who've been warriors are getting to that age, uh, they have ponytails. And they ceremonially cut off their ponytails and stick them, you know, inside the teepee or whatever. And those men no longer go out and fight. They now sit with the circle of elders mm-hmm. and make decisions. And, and and we see in our community a lot of men who work way too long, have this great fear of getting old, pretend that they're young, and and and, and, and will actually hold down the young so that they can continue and you know, feel their own power, mm. which is such a shame. And, and I mentioned before, you know, with women, it's such a tragedy that we don't actually respect women more as they get older, but there's shame in our community around getting old. Mm. And there's this pressure to look young. And plastic surgery is, you know, one of the fastest right. growing industries in, in the world. Mm. Um, and that's a tragedy. It and, is. You know, Wrinkles equal wisdom, right? Yeah, there, there's a, you know, I'll, I'll say it, there's a community in Africa where the women with saggy breasts are respected the most because they've breastfed children. Right. And so it shows what, that they're wiser now that they've yeah, had children? Yeah, they're wiser, they're older, they've had children, of course you're going to respect them. Mm. Instead of some, you know, someone who, who hasn't got the, the year, you know. And even just the whole thing around respecting age. You know, we're in, we're, mm. we are in a world where we worship youth, you know, and, and inst- we, we shouldn't be worshipping youth. We should be nurturing youth but respecting eldership. Yeah. Is that something – Yeah. what do your – when you do these programs, so out here in this beautiful hinterland area here and you're bringing people and you've mentioned that you do a lot of obviously men and um, boys but you also have the ones for women and girls – what does it look like from the inside there? You're coming together for how long? What What are some of the challenges that you're setting? Sure. So there are many, many different ways a rite of passage can be run. On this particular property, we do a lot of father-son programs. So we'll get groups of boys, 14 to 17, coming along with their father or a mentor. It might be an uncle, a grandfather, a family friend because unfortunately there's a pretty large percentage of boys whose fathers are not around for whatever reason. So we'll get groups of men and boys, and we take them out in the bush for five days. And when they arrive, uh, we get them to hand in their phones and their computers and any electronics and reading material, their watches. So we're just going out into nature. And then we have the mothers there, and we do a a ceremony where the mothers say goodbye to their boys, which is very beautiful, and then we bring them into the bush. And then um, uh, we use the, the framework of a rite of passage. So when they're here, they're in that middle stage of transition. And what we'll do is the stages that we use, the first one is we want to pass on wisdom and knowledge to these boys. But we can't do it by telling them how to live their lives or what to do. And the way that we find to pass on the wisdom and knowledge is by sharing our stories. So as men, we'll share stories every day in a circle, around a fire if we can arrange it. And, you know, on the first day we might get the men to talk about what it was like for them when they were the age of the boys and what their relationship was like with their own father. Half the men cry, to mm, be honest. I could imagine. Because they had such an unsatisfactory relationship. But we also hear some beautiful stories. And another day we'll talk about successes and failures. We'll talk about grief and loss. we talk about relationships and sex. You know, we need to talk about relationships and sex with our kids. Otherwise, they're learning it all from the porn that they all access on their yeah. devices. So we share stories. Uh, we create challenges, um, you know, different sorts of challenges. We get the boys thinking about their vision for the future. You know, what sort of men do they want to be? Mm. And what behaviours do they know they need to let go of? Which yeah. is very powerful. And then one of the final things that we do is... And we create a space where one at a time, each of the young, the boy or the young men will sit on a special chair in front of all the other men and their father or the man who brought them comes up and in front of everyone tells this young man what he loves about him. 
what he's proud of, the gifts that he sees that he has. And then one of the other men will tell the boy the gifts that he sees he has. One of the facilitators will speak to him. You know, we're really recognising that boy and saying, mm. this is who we see you as and th- we, we love this about you. We're proud that you're like this. So that's sort of the, you know, the processes that we do. And then we come back to the mothers and the families and the community. We get as many, sometimes we have a few hundred people waiting oh, when we brilliant. get back to the, to the hall that we left from. We walk out. We have a whole celebration welcoming the young men back to the community. Brilliant. Yeah. So that's a camp setting. You know, we, we, we've set up programs in schools around Australia where um, in one school in Perth, the boys, they board, they go in the boarding house for three weeks, 24 boys at a time, three weeks. And uh, the first week is all about exploring their, their identity and their story. The second week's about relationships and, and the third week is about their vision and their purpose in the world. Mm. And then in the first weekend, we bring the mothers in, which is amazing, and in the second weekend, we bring the fathers in and they camp on the school oval and they go through a rite of passage process, you know. Brilliant. So completely different format. Yeah. Another place we do it, we have it's 18 weeks for boys with mentors because the parents aren't available for whatever reason, mentors from the local community. Once a week for 18 weeks in the evening, they get together and they do processes. And then at the end, there's a camp for three days. Mm -hmm. So many ways that it can be done. um, But all of them, if if they're done using those elements that we talked about of a story, challenges, uh, a vision for the future and honouring and acknowledging the, the, the person, creates a transformation. What do you see in today's society that is the biggest challenge or distraction away from the boys, but even the men? It sounds like the men are going to have this, like a great empowering experience with these programs as well. And then looking at the women and the, the girls that you get in, what is it that you see in society? Because you, obviously in your many days of wisdom on this planet, you would have seen an evolutionary change. What is it that you see in today's society that is sort of the biggest um yeah, challenge. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I've been running these programs for 25 years in Australia and around the world, and when we started running them, no one had computers. No one had mobile phones. They were just starting, whereas now the kids are lost in their devices. Mm. And every parent I talk to tells me that um, they're fighting a war and they've lost. You know, and, and, and technology is just so much mm. a part of these kids' lives. And technology is not the kids creating their own entertainment. It's entertainment that they're being fed. Mm. It's prescriptive entertainment that actually has a commercial goal. And that's a big problem. Mm. And, and there's already research showing that the brain, uh, the neural pathways of children are being affected by technology. Of course. They don't know whether it's good or bad. We can guess, but they know they're being affected. So that's a big one. And it's also affecting the parents because parents are so busy and accessible all the time. You know, there's even research that's come out that families that have dinner together three or more times a week, the kids do better. Mm. Now, even that we're doing that research. Yeah, I know. It seems crazy. Crazy. But but the reality is the majority of families no longer have dinner together. Wow. You know, the kids are in their room or watching their computers and, you know, everyone's somewhere and people are so busy and, um, you know, it's it's all very, very difficult. And um, unfortunately, you know, it's sort of the kids are making their own decisions. It's very hard to control how much time teenagers are spending on devices Mm. Um, and uh, you know we're at the same time we're seeing this enormous rise in mental health issues where somewhere between 25 to 40 percent of teenagers in any given year have a mental health issue Mm. i mean that is just unacceptable apart from the fact that we have the highest rate of youth suicide in the western world and all these things you know, it's a big issue. Mm, I, I'm, uh, I've been asked to go to Bhutan and run a leadership training in rites of passage and do some pilot programs. And Bhutan, the kingdom of Bhutan, is this little uh, country next to Nepal with about 850,000 people there, very culturally um, still strong, and they've, and they've never been 
colonised or invaded. And they've managed to keep their culture. But 10 years ago, they got the internet. Uh. And now, for the first time ever, they're having problems with drugs and youth suicide. Right. And... How interesting How it's only interesting. in the last sort of 10 years that they're exposed to that. Correct. Mm. And they're getting the first round of problems. Mm. And they don't currently have preventative measures. What they're doing is setting up, uh, you know, clinics for drug rehab and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But that's not the answer. The answer is actually why, you know, what's the actual cause of this mm. and how do we deal with it? And, and, you know, one of the things that they are looking at doing is potentially introducing rites of passage across the country. So we'll be running some pilot programs there. Like a preventative as opposed to a curative Absolutely, approach. exactly. Which is why I believe that you sort of did that shift. You mentioned before that you were a medical doctor, right? Yeah. And um, do you still see yourself as a, uh, as a doctor or a healer? Absolutely, or a- I see myself as a doctor. But instead of doing... You know, instead of curing, trying to cure people with pharmace, you know, with pharmaceuticals and in a system, I'm now doing preventative medicine outside of the system. Mm. And one of the things for me, and this is like 20 years ago, I looked at my patients and I realised that so much of what I was doing was treating people, you know, 45 years and older for the result of their addictions. And their addictions might be cigarettes or alcohol, but can be food, uh overwork, mm. workaholics or whatever, um, unhealthy relationships, you know, self-esteem issues, and that most of those self-esteem issues came from when they were teenagers. Mm-hmm. And what happened then? And I was like, wow, you know, imagine if we could be doing something when they were teenagers starting at then, we could just prevent so many of these issues actually even happening which is that was sort of the beginning of the end of my medical career. <laughs> How do you see the that kind of system now in the the pharmaceutical and the medical industry? It obviously plays a good part, but I'm very much I work with very closely with a functional medicine practitioner. I'm very much looking at natural approaches and the emotional um, establishment of pain and uh, disease and everything and growth from that. What's, what's your sort of beliefs around that system and what you've been yeah. exposed to since then? Look, medicine is a noble profession and it's a privilege to be a doctor. Mm. And there are wonderful doctors out there and we all know we've met wonderful doctors. But unfortunately, there just is a lot of influence you know, around money and around and the pharmaceutical companies who are very powerful and even fund a lot of the research and all those sorts of things. Mm. And, you know, it's a tragedy. Um, and, you know, I've spoken to people who, uh, you know, say 10, you know, 10, 15 years ago when you went to a medical conference, it was all about different, uh, you know, things that you could do and how you could treat people differently and everything like that. Now, a huge emphasis at the medical conferences is around economics and how to run your practice efficiently and mm. ways of marketing and you know it, it's you know when, when things become uh, you know economically driven, mm. we've seen it in childcare, we're seeing it at the moment in aged care, uh, in the prison system, all of, you know all of them unfortunately get badly affected when the money becomes more important than, you know, the healing side of Mm. it. So, you know, there are wonderful doctors around, but unfortunately there's also a lot of issues. You mentioned there before about parenting quite a lot and you're a parent, your boys are 27 and 29 now, is that right? That's correct, yeah. I'm about to be a dad for the first time ever. What's your advice to help me raise a very aligned child from the from the get-go. It, actually, before you answer that, I just want to say that recently I've been thinking about this a lot. I'm really excited about being a dad. And it suddenly hit me the other day and I thought, to raise a child, I kind of feel like that's even the wrong language from my, my perspective. Obviously, we need to guide and teach, um, but I sort of feel like to be an inspired leader to them, to... to um, to role model the way and obviously let them make their own mistakes in a in a controlled aligned way let them hurt themselves get sick things like that and learn that that when I thought raise children I thought it puts kind of like a lot of ownership on it and maybe taking the ownership from the child 
But anyway, what's your advice? <laughs> right, well, simple question, how to raise a child. Well, there are a number of things because, you know, in your little unit, there's you, the child, and there's mum. And, and Beautiful mum, by yeah, the way. And if we start with mum, one of my pieces of advice would be to love and support her as much as possible mm. because the better she's doing and the more she's supported, uh, the better for everyone. So, so that's one thing. And then with your child, I would say there's a number of things. Yeah, just be involved as much as you can, um, especially when they're, you know, when they're young, changing nappies, getting up in the night. You know, all of that stuff is so beautiful and so special. Uh, and then as they get older, a few uh, things that we talk about, and, and all the research shows that the number one thing children want is more time with you. Mm. So make I would say make the time for that one-on-one time without your mobile phone, just you and them, starting as early as possible, starting, you know, as soon as you can in the first days or weeks. Brilliant. Just that one-on-one time, you and them, no distraction. And, you know, it might start off when they're little just gazing into their eyes and then by the time they're, you know, one or two years old, it's, you know, rolling a ball around or going for war, you know, anything. Mm. So spending that one-on-one time. Uh, the, the next is... Um, you know, children love hearing stories. They love hearing real stories about when you were their age and their grandparents, their great-grandparents, times that you got in trouble. All that, You know, they love stories. Mm. So we, we really recommend that. Um, uh, also talk about um, that when they misbehave and they will get to a time of misbehave, you know, what you consider misbehaving or not okay, we talk about this idea of, separating the person from the behavior. So I love you, but, you know, this behavior, it's not, it's not how we are. You know, it's not what we, you know, we encourage or, you know, that sort of thing. But, Disappointment. But not, but not shaming them. Mm. Not telling them that they're bad and, you know, or and withdrawing your love. Um, so it's acknowledging and saying the behavior is not okay, but we still love you. Brilliant. And then the other thing is, Really uh, finding ways to recognize and acknowledge your child's gifts and genius and spirit. You know, some children are going to be musical. Some kids are going to be artistic. Some will be mathematical. Some will ask a million questions and want to know how everything works. Some are adventurous. Some are quiet and, and, and very com- compassionate and empathetic. They're all different. And the reality is we need all of those different um, personalities in mm. our communities and there's all these jobs and roles and everything that need to be f- filled and, and the ultimate goal is to get people finding what their gifts are and then doing that mm. rather than what I see so often is that people, you know, someone else tells the kid what they should do because that's how they make the most money mm. or that's what they would have loved to have done when they were you know, young. Mm. So really, you know, finding what you, who your kid is and bringing that out. I love that. And I'm really grateful too. About three, four years ago, Marie and I sat down and we created visions of who we wanted to be and how we wanted to live. And the work that we were doing was the next part of the process. But a big part of that was, well, we want to be very involved parents. We don't want to have to go to work at nine to five and then be busy and stressed and things like that. So we've really tried to set ourselves up now to spend a lot of quality time together and with the bub and not in in an doting, spoiling way, in a love and challenge type way. Beautiful. Yeah. Great. And then the other really important thing is that, at different stages of your child's life, you actually need to parent them differently. Mm, so when they're young, your role is absolutely to protect them mm. and to and to create healthy boundaries and to solve their problems. You know, you know, if you if you if your little one, if you if your three month old baby is, you know, wet their nappy and everything, you know, you're not going to leave them there so they can build resilience and tell them to change <laughs> their own nappy. You know. <laughs> But when your kid's 15, yeah. you know, he should be able to strip his bed and chuck the sheets in the washing machine and, mm. and, and you know, tidy his room a bit and that sort of stuff, mm. you know. And so, you know, the, the way we parent them, how we parent them when they're children and when they're teenagers 
actually really has to shift. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, I, I don't always see that shifting. And I see, you know, mothers who are still treating their 16, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds like their children, like their babies, and the children act as babies, mm. and fathers who still think with their 25, 30-year-old that they can just tell them what to do and how to live their lives mm. and be the boss automatically. And that that creates a big problem and the children will either regress or leave or get angry or go to war, but, you know, it won't go well. Mm. What's your beliefs on the current schooling system and structure and curriculum? Oh, I have some serious concerns with the current schooling system, <laughs> I have to say. I actually think the schooling system's broken. Okay. And, Why? Um, and what is it about it? Look, I agree, you know, but I'm, I'm we can start at any you. level that you want, but um, there's some very interesting research that came out of the National University of Singapore a bit over a year ago, which clearly showed that a student's year 12 score is not the predictor of their future success. It's not. Mm-hmm. And, and all the schooling system, you know, is designed to get you the best year 12 score you can. And it's actually not what – and it's the, this research clearly showed that what kids actually need is what they call 21st century life skills. So the, how do they predict what success actually is? Yeah, well, <laughs> there, there are different ways you can measure success. Mm. But it really showed that the ones who are going to do well are the ones who have resilience – um, problem-solving skills, a growth mindset, adaptability, social skills, all of those sorts of things. Mm. And it actually makes sense because with AI and technology, all of the knowledge-based and memory-based subjects, which is actually what so much of school exams are about, are going to become almost irrelevant because all of that information is on our phones. Mm. Like I, I, I'm astonished that students are not allowed to take their phones and their computers into exams <laughs> because an exam is supposed to be a test of a real-life mm. scenario and it's the most unreal-life scenario you could ever imagine because the only time a student would ever not have their phone is when they're in an exam. Yeah. So, right. so we're all going to have access to the knowledge but the people who are going to do well are the ones who can be adaptable and, and come back from problems and all that sort of thing. So, that you know, and, and, and at the same time we have this massive anxiety and depression that's endemic in our high schools. And the number one issue that the kids in high schools talk about is the pressure and stress of exams and, and what they're going to do after school and all of that stuff. And I actually believe that a huge amount of that pressure is completely unnecessary. So I believe the school system has to change. Mm. I've explored, I used to say it for years and mum thought I was joking until recently I've showed her some evidence, but I said, I don't know if my kids will go to school. They will be educated, well-educated and they'll learn through the world and travel. But there's so many things now that are popping up sort of around the world too of these schools away or education away from school curriculum. It gets me excited. So (laughs) I believe that what children actually need is number one, educational opportunities Mm. so and the opportunities can be present in so many different ways to think that the only way they can learn is in a classroom with 30 other kids sitting behind a desk watching a blackboard or a whiteboard that's only one way and yes Mm. that will work for some kids but there's a lot of kids that doesn't work for And, and also some kids you know they are mathematical naturally other kids are creative naturally or artistic or whatever so they need an opportunity that suits them They basically Mm. need an individualised learning plan. So that's the first thing they need. The second thing they need is a healthy environment and community, which is, you know, genuinely community rather than bullying and Mm. all of that stuff. Um, The third thing that they need, I believe, is uh, exposure to the outdoors and and nature because of the the real learning that you get in those environments. Mm. And then the fourth pillar of this is rites of passage to really acknowledge and celebrate as they move through the different stages of their lives. There you go. Your rites of passage will be part of my child's education. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, our aim is to bring rites of passage into the mainstream again, Mm. like they used to be. So, you know, yoga is now in the mainstream. 
meditation has in the last few years come into the mainstream. Mm. And our goal is that rites of passage will also become mainstream and in, you know, 10, 20 years we'll say, oh, my son or my daughter's turning 14, 15. How could we not do something to celebrate and acknowledge the fact that they're becoming a young man or woman or adult? You know, how could we not support them in every way possible? And, um, you know, a rite of passage is absolutely fundamentally necessary i agree mate i'm cognizant of time and uh there's lots of things that we could have dived into and spoken about and everything like that but before i let you go uh one of my top core values is giving and i give all my guests a gift for coming on to this podcast and today for you i've brought you one of our charity teas what size are you? You look like about a medium. A medium. Yep, I'm perfect. A medium. There you go. Yeah. So that's one of our life teas that was designed by a leg amputee, Scotty Reardon, called the Grateful Tea, that one actually. So that's the helicopter that saved his life when his leg got chopped off on a farming accident and his uh, running blade is printed on the back there. So Fantastic. I love getting presents. I love getting good presents and good T-shirts. I'm, I'm sorry that this fella lost his leg, obviously, but how fantastic that he's Turn that around and an amazing and he's going for it, yeah. And that will have been a rite of passage for him, true. And you know, I'll just say to finish off, we all have events that happen to us, Mm. and some people grow from those events, and some people are, you know, unfortunately become victims to those events or are squashed down from them. And even losing your leg can be an amazing and positive event in a person's life. So that's a really beautiful present, and I really appreciate that. And thank you for the interview. Thank you so much. I'm extremely grateful for your time. You're a very humble, genuine, purpose-driven legend. Thank you. Thank you. There you go, guys. What a human. I'm sure you felt and sensed his proud, passionate, abundant, healthy energy. Be sure to follow Anna and the Rites of Passage programs online and check out everything he has to offer. Like I said in the intro, I'll be completing his leadership training in the very near future as I believe in the abundance of value that it has to offer. If you like this episode, make sure you share it with friends and family and also share it on social media and tag me at Life for Excellence so I can see where and how you're enjoying your podcast experiences. And if you follow us on social media, you would have seen the little update I did when I was recording this outro because right now I'm standing outside in a pair of shorts right on the edge of the snow in the Swedish spring. It's about 15, 16 degrees outside, which makes it feel like summer. Recording this podcast for you legends and just absolutely frothing on life and loving life. So make sure you follow us on social media to keep up with some cool little things like that that we throw in from behind the scenes as well as more information and updates and blogs and different posts around health and human behavior and everything that we have to offer. And as always, remember, this is your life journey, your life of impact.